Uh, there's a pastor out in a church in New Mexico who tells us the story of Robert Lewis, Robert Lewis Stevenson, who growing up in Scotland. He writes, in those days, street lamps didn't just come on automatically, like people would go, and they were hired to light each one individually. One evening, as the lamplighters did their work, climbing their ladders, lifting the glass lid, lighting the torch, shutting the lid, climbing back down, moving on to the next lamp, the, the young Stevenson was pretty enthralled by all of that work. And as dusk settled one night, one light would be kindled, and then another, and another. And he turned to his parents, and he says, look, they're punching holes in the darkness. Today we're continuing our series in the letter to the Ephesian church, and we're going to be finishing up with chapter 5 today. So we started chapter 5 last week, and we saw how Paul was encouraging his readers to follow God's example, to imitate God by walking in the way of sacrificial love like Jesus. And then we looked at six different sins that Paul said the Ephesian believers and all Christians really shouldn't have even a hint of in their lives. These were sexual immorality, any kind of impurity, greed, obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking. He also mentioned some pretty dire consequences to those who chose to live in those sins, that they didn't have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God and that God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Now, this is where Paul hits his readers with this transition in verse 7, where he says, Therefore, do not be partners with them. Because of all these sins he mentioned, he encourages his readers not to partner with those who are in these sins or to even ad- or who even advocate for them. It's kind of like what 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, where he says, Don't be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Now, throughout this letter so far, we've seen Paul give instruction on what to avoid as a Christian. As he does this, he's also giving his thoughts on how to replace or what to replace those things that you're avoiding with. Last week, we stuck kind of mainly in the sins to avoid camp. We didn't really say a whole lot about what to replace them with, except there was a part there where he said, instead of... you know, when you're avoiding obscenity, foolish talk, of course, joking, Christians should speak thanksgiving. So today we're going to look at the more positive side, I would say, and a little bit more positive, and how you should live instead of what we should avoid. So if you've got your Bibles, you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 5, follow along as we go through it. Think about living in darkness. We're talking about the difference between darkness and light. And so living in darkness, that can be pretty tough, Right? Like, I mean, how many of us have gotten up in the middle of the night for some reason and hit something with our toe that we know is there, but we couldn't see it in the dark, and then we found it very quickly, and then you're in a you can't see, and you don't want to yell because you're going to wake everybody else up in the house. Or maybe you want to curse, but, you know, Paul already said, don't use obscenity in the last passage, so... I read a story of a tight-fisted farmer in the days before electricity. He'd hired a man working on his farm who would carry this lighted lantern whenever he would go call on his best girl. That's how they worded it. And the farmer told him, why, when I went a courting, I never carried one of them things. I always went in the dark. And the hired man said, pretty wryly, well, yeah, and look what you got. Anyway, (laughs) 
The Apostle Paul told his readers not to be partners with those who are disobedient to God's will. Why? Well, he answers that in verse 8, where he says, For you were once darkness, and now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. The Ephesian believers, as all believers were, were once in darkness. They were once darkness. That's how Paul words it. You were once darkness. They, they lived those lives who are still in darkness, those who were disobedient. They themselves were in the dark, and they didn't really know any better. Right? They thought that that way of life was what it was supposed to look like. There's a young adult book that I read once called The City of Ember. I don't know if anybody's read that, but it's a story of a community who had built a city underground following a kind of disaster or something. But over the course of about over 240 years, the city had forgotten that there was another part of the world to it. And so they lived in the dark, but it was illuminated by light bulbs and their power was kind of going out. That's kind of the inciting incident in the book. But they didn't know any better. Now, Christians were at one time, we were all that way. We lived in the darkness of the world thinking that that was the way that we were supposed to live properly. But as followers of Jesus, we've been moved from darkness to light. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. He says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. See, that's what the dark used to look like. It's what the dark still looks like for non-believers. But that's what some, and, and that's what some of the Corinthian believers were too, and modern believers, or what we were. You were once darkness, but now you are in the light of the Lord. We're now to live as children in the light, of the light. The world, or the word can, can also be translated as walk, that word live. It can be translated as to walk. So we kind of tie it into chapter 5, verse 2, where Paul writes to walk in the way of love. Walk in the way of love. Walk as children of light. It's a lot easier to walk around in the light. Like you see those things that were dangerous before that you couldn't see in the dark unless you were clumsy like me, and then you're still going to hit it. But at least you can't blame the darkness for it, you know? And as we walk as children of the light, there is fruit in that light. These are things that are going to show up a whole lot more clearly in the light and in our lives. Verse 9 says that the fruit of the light consists of in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Goodness is one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit that we see in Galatians 5. Its meaning is it's really other-centric. It's not about you. It's, it's focused on others, like being good to others. Generosity, it's deeply embedded in the meaning of that word. Warren Wearsby, quote, he says, it's love in action. That's what goodness is. And the second on this list is righteousness. Righteousness is defined as somebody who is morally right or justifiable. And that's what we receive. It's not what we were, but it's what we receive when we trust Christ's work on the cross. We have God's righteousness assigned to us. It's not ours. 
but it is, is in, given to us. It is imputed to us. Is, that's the technical term. And, and we need that because we weren't righteous before. Romans 3, 21 and 22 says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. The, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile, and Paul continues. Righteousness comes through faith. Paul writes in Romans that Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And because of Christ's work on the cross, we have the righteousness of God assigned to us, and out of that should spring righteous action. And again, it's not from ourselves, it is from the Lord. Now, the third word that is listed here that is a fruit of the light is truth. Harold Honer writes, he describes truth as reality or what is actual as opposed to what is false. But he continues specifically with regard to this text. He says, more concretely for this context, it has the idea of right action or living as opposed to false living. So the idea for all three of these is this is how we should walk as children of light. As Christians, we walk in goodness, in righteousness, and in truth. J. Vernon McGee writes that this is to be our walk seven days a week, not only on Sunday. And that means 24 hours of those seven days. And it means 60 minutes of every hour. Christians are to live or walk as children of light. And then in verse 10, Paul says that they should also find out what pleases the Lord. Now, the verb... To find out. It's got a meaning in the Greek that it is like to put it to the test, to examine it. So we are testing, we are examining, we are learning about God's will, and then we're putting it into action into our lives. The idea of finding out what pleases the Lord, testing God's will, we see it in some of Paul's other letters too. Romans 12, 2, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so now that Christians are walking as children of light, we need to let that light do its work. Paul continues in verses 11 through 14. He says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So the first thing, have nothing to do with the darkness. By the grace of God, we've been brought out of that darkness and into the light. But one of the problems we run into is that our eyes get accustomed to the dark, right? Yeah, I'm sure you've had that happen. Like if maybe you go to a matinee movie or something, and you're in a dark movie theater for a long time, a couple hours, and then you come outside, and the sun is just like the brightest thing in the history of the world, which I think it is the brightest thing in the history of the world. So, you know, it makes sense. It makes sense. But all of a sudden, you turn into a vampire, and you're like, no, it's going to kill me. I mean, you want to go back in until your eyes adjust, and then you're like, okay, I'm good. But it can take a while for your eyes to adjust sometimes. But when it does, then you see things a whole lot more clearly. Like, there's more color than you saw before. It's more beautiful than in the dark a lot of times. And that's what the light does for us. We don't want anything to do with the darkness. 
We want to leave that behind, leave those fruitless deeds behind. Instead, we want to expose them for what they are. We need to expose the fruitless deeds for the sins that they are. And this would include all that stuff that we talked about last week with sexual immorality and impurity and greed and so on. The things that Paul says in verse 12, he says these things are shameful to even mention what they're doing in secret. They're sinning in secret. They're sinning in the dark. But in verse 13, he says everything that is exposed by the light becomes visible. Like, you can, you can try and sin and hide it, but it's not going to stay hidden because it gets exposed by the light of the Lord. You may say something like, well, nobody else knows. Like, it's not harming anybody. But God knows. God's there. He still sees it. It's exposed in his light. So for Christians, we've, we need to wake up, like he says. He's quoting the book of Isaiah here where he says, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. Basically, he's like, stop sleepwalking through this life. Stop letting yourself fall into habitual sin. As Christ shines on you, expose that sin for what it is. And then remove it. And then you're going to be living differently. But it's not going to be without wisdom. This is how Paul continues in verse 15. He says, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be careful how you live. Kind of feels like a summary of what we've been talking about for the last three weeks. Christians have to be careful in how we live. We can live like the world does. And as Paul pointed out, like, that's a path that leads to destruction. Why would we want to stay on that path? Christians need to be very careful in living by staying on the path that leads to righteousness. That's a godly path. That's the way of wisdom. Paul says that here in verse 15. We need to live not as unwise, but as wise. And we don't want to live as unwise because that leads to destruction. It leads to, there's danger on that path. I mean, think like if you're standing on railroad tracks, there's a train coming at you and there's, you, you have a friend there and he's like, get off the railroad tracks. There's a train coming at you. And you're like, no, because that train's going to move for me. And I would say you're an idiot and you don't know how trains work. It is unwise, Right. Why? Well, you know, you're on a path that's going to lead you to destruction. You may be moving very slowly to it, but it's coming hurtling at you. We need to live as someone who is wise. So what does that look like? Proverbs 9, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Wisdom is described as learning what is true and then having the ability to act out that knowledge of the truth. How do we become wise? How do we walk in wisdom? It is to fear the Lord. It's by following God. There are a couple other things that Paul talks about. We need to make the most of every opportunity. Now, the Greek here, it's literally rendered redeem the time. And I kind of wish the NIV had kept it that way because I think that's just a 
a nicer way of saying it. It's not that there's anything wrong with saying making the most of every opportunity. I just like the way redeem the time sounds. So that's just a personal thing. The NIV people are smart, so they know what they're doing. But if you think about it, time is constantly moving forward. Right? You cannot stop time. And once a moment is passed, it's gone. And one day, it's going to end for all of us, at least here on earth. And so that begs the question, what are you doing with your time? Are you redeeming it? Are you going after the right things? Are you wasting your time? Are you letting it slip through your fingers? That doesn't mean that you have to go, go, go all the time. Because that's foolish. Because you need to rest. Resting can be redeeming your time. Naps can be redeeming your time. Amen? Amen. (laughs) But what are you doing with your time? I know right now you are sitting here listening to a sermon with your time. And I hope that on Sunday mornings we are redeeming your time. Or we're, we're helping to redeem your time. I really hope that we're doing that. We want you to have, make good use of your time. But what about when you leave here? Are you living as, as wise? Are you redeeming your time? Are you making the most of it as a Christian? And we need to do this, like Paul writes, because the days are evil. And it can be a pretty dark, broken world out there. And so are you walking as a light? Paul continues in verse 17, don't be foolish. Throughout Scripture, the fool is not spoken of real well. Psalm 14, 1 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They're corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There's no one who does what's good. The fool has no need for God. But Paul says that we're not to be foolish, but to understand what the Lord's will is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fool has no time. They have no desire for that. They want to do things on their own. They don't want to follow God's instruction. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then Paul continues, and he instructs his readers, Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Now remember, we talked about, we read about sexual immorality and impurity, obscene language, etc. And debauchery is giving oneself into like sensual lusts. And remember last week we read that there was not to be even a hint, as we said, not to be even a hint of these sins. Why? Because it's a slippery slope. You know, it just compounds. You turn into that, that little snowball that goes into a giant snowball down a hill. I don't know what you call that. Snow boulder? I like that. Let's use that. <laughs> what can alcohol do? Lowers your inhibitions. Makes you pretty unwise. And you might get caught in some sin that you don't really want to get caught in, which I think would be any. But, and it's not that alcohol or drinking alcohol is bad. It's really too much of it. It's the drunkenness that's always called out in the Bible. Because when you drink too much, your mind does not work at peak performance. And I can say that because I've not always been a Christian. And, and I've had that where my mind was not working at too peak of performance because I drank too much. And you know, some people do need to totally abstain from drinking alcohol because it'll trigger something in them and they'll backslide quickly. And so they, they need to be sober and abstain, and they should. 
They need, um, uh, others might have a glass of wine at a meal and they're fine. It's not an addiction for them. They're not going to drink too much. But Paul says, don't get drunk on wine. Well, what do we replace that with, though? If we're going to be filled with something, he says, be filled with the Spirit. Let God fill us up. There are things that we do as we are filled with the Spirit. Now we are speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit. It's all about building each other up. It's all about edifying one another. Because remember, we are joined together. We are the body of Christ, joined together, grafted in together. So we want to strengthen each other as we're filled with the promise of the Lord in his Holy Spirit. And we we speak to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit to do this. Now, we are also singing and making music from our hearts to the Lord, which is why we come here every Sunday and, and once a month on Wednesdays. We come to worship God, to redeem our time here at church. We are praising and worshiping our Heavenly Father together in one Spirit who resides in us, singing and making music to the Lord. And we also give thanks to him for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's that time of year, like Austin was saying, you know, where we are thinking about things for which we are thankful. And at the top of that list should be God. We are thankful for everything. We should be grateful for him, grateful for his plan to rescue us. And so we show him our gratitude. Now, there's one more of these things that we do as we're filled with the Spirit, and that's found in verse 21, which is submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, or submitting to one another. Verses 18 through 21, it's actually one Greek sentence. So that's why we included it here. But it's actually going to lead us into what we talk about next week, because we're going to look at how we can cultivate Healthy relationships in Christ. I read a story of an accident that happened, a terrible accident that happened at a railroad crossing. And it was during the time where there were watchmen at the railroad crossings. So it wasn't like the electronic crossings that we have now. But there was someone who would be at the crossing and they would have a lantern if it was dark. They would stop traffic if there was a train coming. And unfortunately, something happened, and a car was hit, some youth were killed, and there was a trial, and they questioned the watchman, and they they asked him, were you at the crossing the night of the accident? He says, yes, Your Honor. Were you waving your lantern to warn of the danger? Yes, Your Honor, the man told the judge. But after the trial had ended, the watchman walked away mumbling to himself, I'm glad they didn't ask me about the light in the lantern because it had gone out. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Don't let that light go out. Don't go back into the darkness because there's nothing but sin and destruction there. Instead, Walk as children of light. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but expose them for what they are. It's like Robert Louis Stevenson said. Punch holes in the darkness. Take care to live in wisdom, filled with the Holy Spirit, giving thanks to God for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ.
Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk in the light. The world tempts us every day to go back into the darkness because that's what the world says is what's good. But we know better because we know that you are what is good. You are the only thing that is good. And so, Father, we want to live like Paul said, to live in the light, to expose the sin and the deeds of of the darkness for what they are. And we pray that you would help us to do that. Father, help us to live with wisdom. You gave Solomon wisdom when he asked for it, and I, I pray that you would give us wisdom as well. Wisdom so that we can live according to your word. Wisdom that we can share with others, that we can be a light for others to be drawn to you. You've told us to be a beacon, a city on a hill. And my hope and my prayer is that Maple Grove will be that. That people will know that this is a place where God is. Where he can be found. Where truth reigns. Because you are truth. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the sacrifice that he made on the cross. That he took those sins that we are guilty of and he bore them on the cross, nailing them there. Paying for our sins so that we might live. That we would be declared righteous. Not on our own, but from you. Father, we come to the time in our service where we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made by coming around the table of communion. We take the bread, which represents his body broken for us. We take the juice that represents his blood that was spilled on our behalf. But it is also the blood of a new covenant in which you have invited us. Lord, we thank you. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.